I want winners. I want people that want to win. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. You got to put your money where your mouth is, Pete. It's not gambling advice. March 23rd, Wednesday, and welcome to Not Gambling Advice. We have an awesome show again. I always say we have an awesome show, but we really do have an awesome show for you here today. We are giving you our five underrated outfielders for fantasy baseball for 2022. And we also have a deep, deep sleeper as well being drafted way late in drafts that's going to help you win your fantasy league. Just a reminder, again, this is a five by five league. Home runs, average, RBIs, runs, and stolen bases. Colby, what's going on, brother? What's going on, man? I, I think we're going to – I'm going to have to send you like a different adjective every single day to describe the episode. Because what if you came in here and we're like, what's up, guys? We got a lackluster <laughs> episode ahead of us here. Um, I don't think the people would be very excited for the episode, but we might have to take it another level and, and, and have you, you know, saying some funny, funny adjectives to describe the episode. I think I do have to start doing that kind of like the Stephen A just using words that we've never heard of in dictionaries that we've never read. I think it's a great way to start doing that. My, my thing is, is I'm just always so excited to talk to you. And I'm always so excited to talk about the subjects that we bring up. I love fantasy baseball and I love gambling. And every single day we get to talk about these kinds of things. So I'm always, yeah, this is always going to be a great show. We did all the research. We're about to get into our five underrated outfielders currently being drafted after 175 in drafts. So these are not guys in your top 20. These aren't even guys in your top 30. These aren't even guys in the top 40 or 50. These are guys outside that could help you win your league. On Friday's episode, we will be ranking our top 20 outfielders. And then you can find all of this information in written form on justbaseball.com. So Colby, without further ado, let's just get into number one and I'll throw it over to you first. Sweet, man. Sweet. So number one is a guy that's still a free agent. He's still out there. It's Michael Conforto, formerly of the New York Mets. And the reason he's still a free agent after this huge free agent signing period we've gone through is that he he uh, had the qualifying offer extended to him. So whoever he signs with is going to have to forfeit either a second round or a third round draft pick, which is kind of keeping people away, right? Steve Cohen even said it himself. I am not going to sign this free agent period. Anybody with a qualifying offer attached to them because those draft picks are super valuable. Why I do like Michael Conforto from a fantasy perspective. I mean, there's a few reasons here. One, last year was inexplicably bad for him. And I think it was mainly due to bad luck. This is a guy that from 2018 or 2017 to 2019 averaged 29 home runs a year, averaged 255, and was just a super solid contributor year after year after year. Last year, though, 322 WOBA. But he had a 350 X level, which implies that there, there is room for improvement back to what he's used to. That gap between his Woba and X level was the 12th biggest in baseball. The second reason why I really like Michael Conforto is the possible teams that are in on him where he could go as a free agent. The Blue Jays and the White Sox are the two teams right now that are very, very, I don't know, I wouldn't say aggressively after them, but they're really only the two teams that, that you know, fit where he could go right now. In Toronto, he would be replacing Randall Gritchick potentially. And last year, even in the eight and nine hole for Randall Gritchick, he had 82 RBIs. Conforto is going to slot into the six or seven hole on either one of these teams that he goes to. And that puts him in line for 100 art runs and 100 RBI potential. And I think he's he's a clear, you know, 25 to 30 home run guy. It's not the 14 home runs he hit last year. Don't buy into that. 
Agreed. I'm not buying into really any of the 2021 seasons from the Mets. They all had down years offensively. And it seems clear that the Mets took a super analytical approach in 2021. And it was getting in the heads of these guys. Analytics are obviously important. Every team uses them. We use them every single day and you hear them throughout the episode, but they can't be the end all be all. And when you're forcing it down players throats and they're just thinking too much at the plate, they're not their normal selves. They're not loose and relaxed and just focusing on C ball hit ball. There's problems there. And that's what happened with Michael Conforto. That's what happened with Jeff McNeil. That's what happened with Dom Smith. I mean, Dom Smith is another story. He might not be that good, but there's a lot of players on the Mets who had those types of problems. Lindor is a great, is a great example. A guy who's definitely going to bounce back this year, at least in our opinion. And Conforto is one of them agreed wherever he goes, it's going to be a better option as well. And I'm just looking at his current ADP right now. Like he is going after Andrew Benatendi. I would take Michael Conforto. He's going after Robbie Grossman. I would take Michael Conforto. He's going after Jorge Soler. I would take Michael Conforto. He's going after Marcelo Zuna. Definitely taking Conforto. And like Ian Happ is getting drafted after him. Like this is not the place for Michael Conforto, who I would argue will most likely be a top 30 fantasy outfielder next year. And you're getting him near 195 in drafts. I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting taken 120 in drafts and he's getting taken 195. It's a great value pick. Agreed, Peter. Agreed. I mean, I, I would even take him above where he's currently being being drafted at 195. I would take him in the 160 to 170 range. Just make sure you get him. Make sure I think his him. value is, is there no matter and, where. And another guy down year last year, but is a better player than what we saw in 2021. That's Joey Gallo of the New York Yankees. Current ADP 176, 48th outfielder off the board. He's better than what I think he's better than what we saw with the Rangers last year. And I think he's certainly better than what we saw with the freaking Yankees. I mean, the shift needs to be banned for him to reach his full potential. That won't happen until 2023, but this year he can't control where players will be positioned on the field, but he can certainly control how hard he hits the ball. And he freaking hits the ball. So freaking hard, like way harder than basically everybody else ranking near the tops in hard hit rates, average exit velocity, max exit velocity, you name it. He's hitting the ball hard. He was an 869 OPS hitter with the Rangers, hitting 223 with 25 home runs and six stolen bases, 532 OPS with, oh my God, he hit 160 with 11 home runs and no stolen bases. Like Joey Gallo, are you freaking kidding me? That was almost one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a half season. But this is the potential that we see. 253 with 22 bombs in 70 games in 2019. Like he can be that type of guy. He can also steal you 10 bags. And with plenty of run scoring and RBI opportunities with the Yankees, he's got 40 home run power. I think this could be a guy who hits you 230 with 40 jacks next year with over 100 RBIs. What do you think? The crazy thing is that he had 25 home runs with the Rangers before getting traded to the Yankees. And, and he got traded a bit before the trade deadline. So that was like, you know, July 23rd or 24th. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what the date was, but he was halfway through the season and already had 25 home runs. This is a guy that hits the fourth highest fly ball rate in all of baseball. And what we always talk about is what hit the ball hard and hit it in the air. And Joey Gallo does both of those things to the extreme um, you know, in a, in a Yankees ballpark that is very hitter friendly for lefties, it was the ninth uh, most hitter friendly ballpark for home runs for lefties last or the, over the last three years. And say that, while, again. say that again for all the people making fun of the short porch, saying how easy it is to hit there, how all the Yankees get all these cheap home runs. Say that again, Kobe. What'd you say? Ninth, ninth, ninth. ninth. Remember that, people. Remember that the next time you make fun of a Yankee fan. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the short porch is, is definitely not overpowered. It's not underpowered for sure. It's definitely a help. And Joey Gallo doesn't need it anyway. 
most of his home runs are going to be, you know, 380 to 420 because he just has that much power. I think you're absolutely right, Peter. He's not going to hit 160 again. He's going to hit 220. He's has a chance to hit 50 home runs. I'm not saying he's going to, but he has the, the, the ability to do that. Um, and yeah, in a Yankees lineup that's stacked, he is, he is going to have an above 90 runs and 90 RBIs where he's being taken right now. Um, if you do grab a lot of guys earlier in your draft that, that have really high averages and you can kind of swallow that, that average like dumpster fire that Joe Gallo has, which is fine. I think you absolutely take him and, and take that power to the bank. I bagged on Joey Gallo a lot during the season because I was excited for what we were going to get from Texas. I expected a much better version of Joey Gallo, not him hitting 160, striking at 44% of the time. That's not what I liked watching on TV. It just wasn't fun for me as a baseball fan. So I bagged on him at the time, but it's obviously challenging to adjust to New York after coming over from Texas, being in the limelight like that with all of the pressure, with all of the people down your neck, so I think in a full season in the Bronx, he will be much better, closer to the version that he was in Texas, and he has the opportunity to be better in Yankee Stadium. He certainly has more upside than the guys being taken around him again. Robbie Grossman, Alex Kirilov, Avisel Garcia. I mean, you're telling me you're taking, you're not taking Joey Gallo over Avisel Garcia. You're, you're taking, out of your mind. You're out of your mind. I'm taking Joey Gallo over Avisel Garcia eight days out of seven. So speaking of Avisel Garcia, um, a guy that I'm really, really high on is another guy in that Marlins lineup. It's Jesus Sanchez, who was a rookie last year. He played 64 games and hit 14 home runs. I mean, he went ballistic. Um, I, before this show, was, was perusing his baseball savant page, but I was looking into the hardest hit balls he hit last year. So you can actually, in baseball savant, it's really cool. You can go in and, and basically curate a list of all the hardest hit balls, or if you want to curate all the home runs he hit, you can watch a video for each of those. And that's a super cool way to watch highlights in the year 2022 or 2022 now. Jeez. Whatever year it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> you think of 2023 when they ban the shift and make the bases. Better, that's going to be sick for fantasy baseball. So I, I think Jesus Sanchez is a guy that could hit 30 plus this year. And I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to double down there and I, I'm going to say he hits more than 30 home runs. Uh, maybe we can bet on that. That could be a fun little, you know, not gambling advice side bet, but regardless, this guy's really exciting because he is a lefty that hits lefties. He had a 114 WRC plus versus lefties last year, a 116 WRC plus versus righties last year. So he's not going to get platooned. He's going to be playing every single day and he hit fourth in this Marlins lineup last year. I think he could hit third or fourth this year, and that it's a better lineup. It's a better Marlins lineup. Let's face it; he has upside for you know eighty to ninety RBIs and thirty plus home runs. Um, I really, really like him where he's being taken right now as the number sixty outfielder off the board, ADP two twenty seven. You you said it all. You said it all yourself. I mean, he's got he's probably the best young hitter on the Marlins. Maybe you could say Jesus Sanchez and what we know about the Marlins. Jazz is they, you mean. What did I say? You said Jesus Sanchez. <laughs> I said comparing <laughs> Jesus Sanchez to Jesus Sanchez. Jazz Chisholm is the other best young hitter on the Marlins, but I think you could make the argument that Jesus Sanchez is better. And what we, again, like we know that the Marlins will give their young hitters as much run as possible. And he's going to hit third or fourth in this lineup. So if Jesus Sanchez truly is that guy, 
this is the season where he's going to get the most opportunity possible. And you and I both agree that he does look a lot like that guy. And he's just getting drafted so late in drafts that he's a guy that you have to pick up. Even if you just storm, he's not a starter, but I think he has the possibility to end up being a starter for your fantasy team in 2022. What do you think about that? I absolutely think so. I mean, I was sold on it as soon as I saw him hit a 460 home foot home run off of Max Free. That that did it for me. That did it for me. Well, here's a guy who we don't know exactly what we're going to get, but here's my best shot. I wrote a full profile on justbaseball.com about Seiya Suzuki, the new addition for the Chicago Cubs coming over from the MPB, signed a five-year, $70 million contract, but will go up to $85 million because of the $15 million posting fee. So this is what Seiya Suzuki is. From 2016 through 2021, he hit 317, 420 on base, 586 slugging, OPS over 1,000 with 177 bombs, 77 stolen bases, and he walked almost as much as he struck out. Only struck out 16% of the time, walked 14%. He was the ultimate power threat, putting up at least 25 bombs in each season, and he also hit at least 320 batting average five times with a WRC plus north of 184 times. He's a really good athlete. And he's going to steal some bases, but I don't know how many. He stole a lot in the MPB, but his success rate was not great, only 62%. Like I said, great athlete, probably won't have the free reign to run like he did in the MPB, not with the Cubs. He will certainly not. So I expect between five to 10 stolen bases, but he has the opportunity to steal more because he is fast and he's a good athlete. But I want to compare him to a player in the MPB that you know good and well, or at least I hope you do if you're a baseball fan. That's Hideki Matsui on the New York Yankees. Let me go stat by stat to show you how close they were when both of their careers are stacked up in the MPB. Seiya Suzuki hit 316. Hideki Matsui hit 304. Seiya Suzuki 415 on base. Hideki Matsui 413 on base. Seiya Suzuki 572 slugging. Hideki Matsui 582 slugging. They have almost identical OPSs. Seiya Suzuki 170 WRC plus, Hideki Matsui 168 WRC plus. So what did Hideki Matsui do when he first came over? Well, he hit at least 287 in, in, in his first six seasons with back-to-back years hitting over 300 in 2005 and 2006. He put up four 100 RBI seasons and he hit at least 23 home runs in three of his first five seasons. So what should we expect? I think a... Stat line that's going to look close to what you're going to get from Chris Taylor. I think he's going to hit between around 270 ish with 20 to 25 home runs, with five to 10 steals, and around 70 to 80 runs and RBIs in both of those departments. I think that's pretty close to what you're getting with Chris Taylor, and he's getting drafted just like way later than Chris Taylor. And when you look at who he's getting drafted between, I mean, oh my God. Where, where is he right here? Is that number 55 in the outfielders list? Like he's getting drafted after Ian Happ. He's way better than Ian Happ. I'm telling you, AJ Pollock is great, but has dealt with injury concerns. I kind of think Seiya Suzuki is just straight up better than him. You know, he's getting drafted behind Marcelo Zuna. I would take him over Marcelo Zuna. I'd also take him over Jorge Soler. I'd take him over Ben Attendee. Um, and we talked um, pre-record about the 150 range. Didn't we talk about the range? Remember uh, getting drafted in the 150 range? Yes, 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 exactly. Right. So Seiya Suzuki is is probably able. You're you're gonna have to in a smart league. 
if you're in a smart league, you kind of have to, this is something important for, for any fantasy player to think about before they go into the draft. Am I playing with smart, you know, pretty sharp fantasy players or am I with my buddies from high school that like maybe watch a Yankee game here and there and maybe like don't really know what's going on for the sharp players. Say Suzuki's probably going to be going, you know, 150 ADP, right? His ADP is 196, but he's probably going to be going ADP 150. Some guys might not even know if you're in a casual league, some guys might not really know about say Suzuki and they might be drafting him 250 ADP. So you really just have to gauge like, when should I be taking Seiya Suzuki depending on the league I'm in? One reason I really like Seiya Suzuki um, and, and making his transition from Japan is that he didn't go to a team like the Padres, like the Dodgers, the Yankees or Red Sox, right? He didn't go to a big market team where all the pressure would be put on him. All the cameras would be put on him. Seiya Suzuki would, would have this pressure on his shoulders that he has to perform to the highest level or even above the level that, that he's able to perform at or else he's going to be considered a failure of some kind, Great right? Point. He goes to the Cubs and they're you know going to be competing for a wild card, but there's no expectation for the Cubs to make the playoffs this year or win a world series. I mean, they're just going to go out there and, and have fun. I think, I really think the Cubs this year, the idea is for them to go out, have fun, play hard, get fans in the stadium. Um, but there's really no expectation that they have to go and win a world series, which I think really, really, help say Suzuki who is a fun character if you watch interviews with him he he is a, a to say it say the least a character I mean the guy just jokes around and has a really good sense of humor so um on the field I, I really like him too his batted ball profile in Japan I mean he was saying the ball you know 50 percent hard hit rate um he only had a 16 percent k rate which I think will go up when he comes to the major leagues because nobody's throwing 90 mile an hour sliders in Japan let's let's face it um, but I think he will make the transi- transition well. And I like say Suzuki's outlook for this year. I think your comp of Chris Taylor is, is spot on and is even a conservative. I think it's a conservative projection for him. I think he could, he could easily outdo what, what you said. For example, Chris Taylor is being drafted as a 36 outfielder currently at 136. Then you got Trent Grisham, Austin Meadows, Lordy Scurriel, Akil Badu, Alex Verdugo, and then Hunter Renfro. So like, for example, I would take Seiya Suzuki over Hunter Renfro. I'd take him over Alex Verdugo. I'd take him over Akil Badu. So you could make the argument. You could take him over Lordy Scurriel, Meadows, Grisham, and Taylor. Maybe not, but I think that's the good spot to kind of place him in, which is much higher than his current ADP across all drafts. But there will also be some drafts where he's going in the 250 range because no one's ever heard of him because he's never played a game in Major League Baseball yet. So he's a guy really to target but don't go crazy. Like don't go start drafting him in the top 100 or even the top 120, because I think even at his peak, he won't be that. He could be at his absolute peak, but that's not a, that's the 98th, 99th percentile of Seiya Suzuki. The, the 80th percentile is I think the 150 range. And I think the 50th percentile is where he's getting drafted now. Give me the 80th percentile. I'm, I'm more, I'm higher definitely on Seiya Suzuki than I think a lot of people are. And I think you're coming around to him too, aren't you? I've always, I've always been coming around him. I just didn't want to overhype him because it's very easy to overhype a, a guy like that, that, that does come over with, from Japan with like, you know how the media is. They're like, this is the next coming of whoever, right? They're always trying to hype these people up. And he's not that. He's a very, very solid ball player. And teams 
one thing you have to factor in here is that, you know, he's being drafted around Ian Happ. Ian Happ didn't get a five-year, $70 million deal from the Cubs, right? The Cubs and their models are smart. All of these models are smart these days. Even the dumbest of teams have great models. So they, they, they did their due diligence on Seiya Suzuki. They know at least they're going to get valuable production to a degree. Will it be to an MVP caliber? Absolutely not. Uh, but they're going to get above average production from Seiya Suzuki. And I think you can pretty much bank on that. Agreed. Think about it. When I was writing up the profiles, looking at all the different contract predictions and the fan graphs and the MLB trade rumors of the world, you know, a lot of them were pretty split, but it was around the same. It was between a four to five year deal, anywhere from 40 million to 55 ish million, ending up getting five years for 70 million plus the $15 million posting fee. That's a lot more than I think the entire baseball community, or at least all the writers I could find, thought that he would get. So I think that goes to show that MLB teams have a bit more confidence in Seiya Suzuki because I also didn't, didn't, don't think that the Cubs offered a $70 million deal if nobody else offered 60, right? So I agree with you. I think Seiya Suzuki is, has a lot of hype coming over and it's justified. He's going to be a really good player because you know we've even looked at Yoshi Tsutsugo and Shogo Akiyama. Like those guys are not the type of hitters that he was in the MPB. Like they were 850 to 900 OPS guys while Seiya Suzuki is an, has an OPS over a thousand. They didn't have the same batting average. They didn't have the same power outlook. And high K rates. I mean, even Yoshi Tsutsugo was, was striking out a lot over in Japan, you know, Suzuki is not that hitter. Um, I'm going to get into my next pick. It's, it's, you know, last time I picked Jesus Sanchez, this is a guy that's being taken five spots behind Jesus Sanchez and is also a former top prospect with 70 grade power. He has 10 stolen base upside and he hits breaking balls super, super well. And what he just did so far in spring training is make a crucial swing adjustment. He toned down his leg kick and now is basically doing like a Jeter toe tap just to activate He's still able to activate on the power, but he's able to get barrels to baseballs. It's Joe Adele of the Angels. He was ranked as high as, you know, top five on some top 100 list last year before graduating. And this is a guy I'm going to compare offensively as, as basically like a Byron Buxton light. Like Byron Buxton hits th- close 300. Joe Adele's not going to do that. He hit 289 last season in AAA, and he's probably going to hit closer to 250 in the bigs. But this is a guy that, that, only had a 31% hard hit rate last year in the bigs and was still able to, able to produce a 90 WRC plus still able to, to activate on his power. If he can get more barrels on baseballs, which I think he is going to be able to do with this swing adjustment, he can activate on that three, 302 ISO that he did have in AAA. And I think the power is going to shine through. I just watched again, going back to the baseball savant, I was going through and watching some of his hardest hits um, he, he took a, a 97 mile an hour elevated fastball deep for a grand slam in the ninth, 112 off the bat. I mean, the, the thing was just smoked. It reminded me too, a little bit of, uh, of Justin Upton. I could give you, give you that comp for Joe Adele as well. Um, I think he's going to have a really strong year and current ADP 232, number 63 outfielder off the board. I think if you leave your draft, leave with one, with at least one of Joe Adele or Hazel Sanchez. Agreed. I really like those two guys, two young guns. I think Joe Adele has a bit more, I guess, upside than Jesus Sanchez does. I would say Jesus Sanchez has a higher floor than Joe Adele does. Um, but Joe Adele 
he's got the speed to steal 20 bases. He's got the power to hit you 30 home runs. I'm not saying these things are going to happen, but I'm talking just upside of everything were to click. Like that's a player he could be. Well, Jesus Sanchez is not a guy who's going to steal 20 bases. Like he could hit 30 home runs, but more than likely he will not. Joe Adele has all the potential in the world. And he's obviously going to be starting opening day for the angels. Most likely as well. I'm I'm a I'm a believer in Joe Adele, and especially as a guy, a late upside pick. I like Joe Adele. It's it's at this point in a draft, it's all about picking these lottery ticket guys for me that that could be top 30 value, right? Because I'm pretty confident, especially in the outfield, that I'm gonna be able to plug a hole with somebody on the waiver wire. You know, if I can, it's all about drafting for me, like three or four guys that can be top 30 players because if one of those guys hits, if I'm hitting on a 20% rate on a guy that's going to be drafted outside the top 50, but it's going to be delivering top 30 value. I'm taking that all day long over drafting guys with the floor of a top 50 guy at the top 50 guy. Cause it just makes no sense to me. Totally agreed. Here's another rookie outfielder that I think has the chance to outperform both of those players. That's Riley green. Who's getting drafted later than those players. But people close to the Tigers think that Green has a substantial shot to start the year in center field for the Tigers. They don't have a ton of options in the outfield. Akil Badu will most likely just slide over to left for one of the best outfield prospects in the sport. You'll see on our updated top 100, he will be close to the top five, and he was in the top 10 in 2021. He's a 300 hitter in the big leagues. I really do think that he will be a 300 hitter in the big leagues with plus power. And he even stole 16 bases between double A and triple A in 124 games. I probably wouldn't expect more than 10 steals in his first season. Um, But I think 20 home runs is likely. I think 290 to 300 is likely. And he'll plug into, again, a much better Tigers lineup. If he's starting center field opening day, going as the 79th outfielder off the board, ADP of 302, I am snatching him up like nobody's business. Are you kidding me? The crazy thing about Riley Green is that he was a 20-year-old in AAA last year, and and he's going to be a 21-year-old in the bigs. I mean, it's pretty rare that we see talent like Riley Green debuting at at age 21. Only the best guys do it, right? And and Riley Green is is that guy. Um, He is he's a guy that last year held a BABIP close to 400 between double a and triple a and i really don't think that that is a fluke i really think that that when he puts the ball in play he he strikes out 27 percent of the time which i i actually think is good for him because he is not whatever uh, contact he does put into play is very very hard and i think you're right i don't think he's going to have a 300 batting average out of the gate but i think 280 is well within reason and and this is a guy that has every chance to hit 20 home runs and and you know, as a rookie, be super impactful across the board. I mean, he's a five category guy across the board. He's a five category guy. And I want to clarify what you were saying about the 27% striker rate, how that might be good for him. And because that might not make a lot of sense to some people, but I, I know what you're saying. For example, would you prefer a one, one count Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Swings through a ball low in the zone that he can't really hit very hard. Or would you rather make him have him make weak contact, right? No, you probably prefer him swinging through that ball. You want him hitting hard line drives with pitches that he can hit. 
So I think that's what you were saying about the 27% strikeout rate. Are you, are you good to elaborate any more on that? No, you, you nailed it. I mean, it's the same reason that, that a guy like Shohei Otani is able to be such a force, even though he strikes out 30% of the time, because the contact that he does put into play when he does make contact with the ball, it has, you know, such a high chance of being a hit. That's why Riley Green is able to sustain such a high batting average balls in play because the, the contact he does put into play is so hard. So yeah, it's very valuable regardless of his K rate. Agreed. Go ahead with your next one. Sweet. Okay, we're moving over to another top prospect, not a former top prospect. This guy is like Riley Green. He is our number three prospect at Just Baseball, Julio Rodriguez, who, you know, is, is a freakazoid. He's I mean, a freakazoid. He, he, <laughs> he's a freak. Um, I got posed the question on Twitter yesterday. Who would you rather have in three years? Wander Franco or Julio Rodriguez? And I, I really pondered it for a long time and i was like who would i rather have i think in three years julio rodriguez and wander franco are going to be battling it out for al mvp uh but obviously we need to talk about what he's going to deliver this year and that is the question right i don't think he's going to make the opening day roster but i think the latest you're going to see him come up this year is mid-june at the latest um so for me the strategy is draft him 275 adp maybe even a little higher than that just make sure i get him I stash him on my bench and I, you know, have other guys that, that hopefully if I'm drafting him that late, I have five or six other outfielders on my team already anyway, um, that I can stash him when he does come up in June. This is a guy that has the potential. I mean, he, he hit three, three forty last year in the minor leagues and, you know, has 20 to 25 home run upside right now. I think in a few years, that's going to be higher. He's going to be a guy that, that we're expecting at 40 home runs in, in two years every year, but for this season. Yeah. Once he comes up in June, this is a guy that, for me, could immediately be a top 30 fantasy player. And, and I think he's an even better prospect than Jared Kelnick was last year when he came up. Julio Rodriguez has MVP in his future. And I'd, I'd prefer it. Well, not prefer. If you guys want to hear more about Julio Rodriguez, we have a ton of write-ups on the site, including our top 100 prospects, that will give you a ton of more insight into Julio Rodriguez. But another guy, and my last one of these outfielders before we get into our deep sleeper, is another guy that you have to stash, not because he's a prospect, but because he continues to serve his PED suspension. That's Ramon Laureano currently being taken ADP 233. He's the 64th outfielder currently going off the board. Problem. He's currently serving an 80 game suspension. It will go until April because he served about 50 ish games last year. So it'll go through the entirety of April. The good thing is that he's sliding in drafts because of it. And he's still a really good player. We've seen a lot of these guys have PD suspensions and then come back the next year and be totally fine. Ergo Nelson Cruz is an example of guys who just come back. They serve their PD suspension and then they're right back to normal. Are they still taking it? I don't know. That's not for us to decide. But in 2018 to 2019, he hit 288. And then in 2019, he hit 288 with 24 bombs and 13 steals. The production has slightly dropped off since then. But when he's on, he's a five-category guy. He's got 10 to 15 steals in his bag. He got 20 home run power in his bag. And he can easily hit 280, most likely closer to 260. Of course, he won't get probably to 20 home runs this year. Probably won't get to 15 stolen bases because, again, he's missing the month of April, but he's a guy that you should stash on your bench because when he's in the game, he's a top 30 or top 40 outfielder. It's going 64th off the board. That's a good spot to grab him at again, to stash on your bench because he's a guy who can kind of do it all throughout the five categories. 
I I'm kind of, kind of just in awe of of this athletics lineup right now. Um, I I, I really just want to you know send my condolences to any athletics fans that are that are listening to this podcast right now because it is it is a it's going to be a dark period in A's baseball and I don't think they're they're remotely close to to coming out of this forever rebuild. It, can we call it that? Can we call the A's? I don't know what to forever call it. rebuild. Yeah, they're, um, just, they're retooling I mean, I mean, every year. <laughs> right now, they're looking at projection-wise three guys that are going to have above a, a hundred WRC plus. And for the sake of Ramon Laureano's fantasy value, I, I I pray that he gets traded to the Marlins. I don't know what's really holding up that trade because it seems like the A's are maybe asking for Max Meyer, and, and that's what what's holding up. I don't think the Marlins should give up Max Meyer for Ramon Laureano this at this stage. Um, but yeah, for his fantasy value, I mean, it, he, it, it might hurt to hit in this, this ace lineup. That's the thing. We just need him to get traded, but even if he's not traded, he's still productive. He'll, he'll obviously not get those run scoring and RBI opportunities, but he's still got the pop. He's still going to steal some bags. That's if he stays on the A's, maybe you don't, maybe you just don't kind of take him, but I do think that he's a trade candidate going to go to a better situation but I still even think with the A's, he's a good draft pick down there. I think it's a matter of, of when, not if he gets traded. Yes. I mean, he, he's definitely going to get traded. There are like four or five or maybe even more teams that are looking for a center fielder right now. And, and nobody can seem to find one because there's none available. So Ramon Laureano is going to get dealt at some point. It's just a matter of, of when. Agreed. Um, my last guy, I think you, you have one more as well that you're forgetting. Uh, he, uh, forgetting he's somebody. German. He's German. He is German, and I didn't forget about him. I have one more. <laughs> I'll go into mine real quick, though. So this this guy could be considered a deep sleeper. It's Connor Joe of the Colorado Rockies. He's currently being taken 335 ADP, number 86 outfielder off the board. But I think he's much more valuable than that. Last year, he didn't play much. He had, I think, only 200 plate appearances. But in those 200 plate appearances, he hit 285 with a 366 WOBA. And what really intrigues me here with Connor Joe is yes, that average is intriguing. And yes, he does play in Colorado, which is always going to inflate average and, and inflate offensive numbers for fantasy. But what really intrigues me is that he hit leadoff in their last 24 games to end the season last year. And he had 16 runs over that span. If you extrapolate that over a full season, he's on pace for hundred plus runs. And if Connor Joe, this is something to monitor. If Connor Joe does get the opportunity to hit leadoff again, which I really hope he does, and I think you're you're it's worth it to take the flyer on him this late because if he does hit leadoff with Chris Bryant added to this lineup, a hundred you're really you really are looking at a hundred runs with you know a, a high average, a high average. So I'm really really in on Connor Joe late in drafts. I see what you're saying with Connor Joe because. What we saw in 2021 was really promising. The batted ball profile looked pretty good. He put up some great stats. I mean, an 848 OPS is an 848 OPS. I mean, he had 86 bombs. He was striking out almost as much as he was walking. My only thing is that's all we have from Connor Joe. At the end of the day, now he's 30. Like, he's 30. Even when he had a cup of coffee with the Giants, like, he didn't do anything in 2019. Connor Joe has potential and that's why i do like him late in drafts like he, he was in the 89th percentile of max exit like he he, he could crush baseball so and intriguing then, and he's in such a good opportunity in colorado so it makes all the sense in the world and i i like it late in drafts i just don't know 
Like, is he really that talented? Is he really that good? He might be. We just don't have that much to go off of. That's the only thing. But, but Peter, I mean, like, <laughs> you're telling me that that 80s, number 86 off the board right now, like Andrew yeah. McCutcheon's going there. I do like Kyle Lewis. That's another guy. He's 85th off the board. That's another another guy that you should definitely be looking at. But, like, Yoshi Sutsugo is being taken yeah. out here. Like, you're only getting you're upside right. at, at taking Connor Joe. And if he does hit leadoff, it, it's going to take his fancy value to the next level. Agreed. Um, and, and I mean, it's a guy that this late in drafts, if you do draft him and he's not hitting leadoff and he's not producing in the first month, okay, you drop him and you just pick up somebody else. It's, it's agreed. At that price point, it's, it's phenomenal because he, he does have a ton of upside. My guy, Max Kepler, ADP 282, 77th outfielder off the board for the Minnesota Twins. If you look at Max Kepler's baseball savant profile, it's all red literally all red he's in the at least 50th or higher percentile in literally everything but the only thing that held him back last year was a 211 batting average in fantasy but his expected batting average was 255 and in 2019 we saw him literally hit 255 with 36 jacks and then in 2021 he stole 10 bases and funny in 2019 he didn't have that many stolen bases he got caught stealing a bunch in 2021, 10 stolen bases, zero caught stealing. So that might be something that he's even doing more next year. It's really hard to play when you got nothing to play for. And that's what Max Kepler had to do on the Minnesota Twins last year. They sucked. This year, they'll be much better. The lineup is revamped. You got Carlos Correa. They made a bunch of moves. Donaldson is gone, but Gio Rochelle and Gary Sanchez are there. They have a better pitching staff now with Sonny Gray. Joe Ryan is an exciting arm. This is a better team. I think we'll see a closer version to 2019 than a 2021 version. And if we get a 2019 version with some speed, He's a really intriguing fantasy candidate getting taken as the 77th outfielder off the board. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, Are absolutely. You kidding me? I'm all over this guy, Peter. I mean, I mentioned earlier in the show how Michael Conforto last year had the 12th highest difference between his WOBA and his ex-WOBA, implying, you know, a breakout for this year, or at least, you know, regression to the mean. Max Kepler was second second on that list 309 woba 347 x woba if he does return to the form that that he was in in 2019 you're looking at a fantasy beast i mean he had 36 home runs and and this twins lineup is nothing to mess around with now with correa i and even kirilov like there there are some exciting exciting players that were not there in 2019 that that are going to be there this season that that could take him if if he is a guy that is hitting 30 home runs with a hundred runs and an average that is low. I think he's probably a 240 guy, but like you can totally stomach that with all that power, especially that late in drafts. I love it with a handful of stolen bases, more run scoring opportunities, more RBI scoring opportunities. Think about this. He's going about 90 spots behind Ian Happ. I would take him over Ian Happ. No brainer. No brainer. What is that? The question like, is, I just don't understand it. Do people not think that that he's going to play? Would you take would you take Max Kepler or would you take Jorge Soler? Kepler, because I don't think that Soler has the runs and RBI potential in that Marlins lineup that a Kepler does. 
And I think people overhype Jorge Soler's power. He hit 48 home runs one season. And really outside of that, he's never really been a guy to hit more than 30. Like he's a 25 home run guy with a low average around 230 to 240. Um, Jorge Soler did go off in the playoffs last year, but he did not hit that well before the playoffs last year. Like I, I think we're, we're, it's one of those recency bias things where everyone can visualize that home run that he hit at Minute Maid Park that went, you know, 480 feet or whatever it went. It didn't go that far, but it looked like it did. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if he finishes with more fantasy points than Joey Gallo does. Max Kepler. I wouldn't be surprised. And Joey Gallo is even a good one at 176. Like he's going at 282, people. 282. 77th. He's going behind Will Myers. Will Myers sucks. He's going behind Mike Yashemsky. You tell me about Mike Yashemsky. Garrett Hampson is going behind him. He's just way better than these people. And is he the only German baseball player in the league? I think that makes him a hundred times cooler. You know who's going right behind him? Eric Hasse. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's gross. But Hasse does have catcher eligibility, which is the only thing that props him up. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So now I have one deep sleeper. I, I have like three. Yeah, I have because... a ton too. We why don't we just list them off? Well, we'll we have our one that we prepared, but we're also late into the drafts here. We'll just start naming. We'll we'll name like two or three guys on top of our one guy who we do like. Sweet. So the one guy I was gonna name as my main guy here is Brendan Marsh. I think I talked about him on the Just Baseball show when we did the the, the fantasy rundown about two months ago, and and I really do like Brandon Marsh. The only thing that I'm going to just preface this by bringing down Brandon Marsh and I'm going to build him up is he can't hit lefties. He's very much struggled against lefties and and that's a problem. Um, But this is a guy with extremely quick hands and does have high max exit velocities and and, and everything you're looking for from a a valuable hitter. Um, And he does have speed to boot. I think he, he's immediately going to slot in as a, top 10 defensive center fielder if not higher i mean this guy makes freaking insane plays on center field he did they say that trout's gonna play center field trout's gonna play left okay beautiful i i absolutely love that because we're gonna get to see brandon marsh we're gonna get to see brandon marsh put on a, a show in center field um, but yeah, this is a guy that last year had a hard hit rate, you know, above 40%. He puts the ball on the ground a little bit too much, but again, it was his first season, first taste of the bigs. I think he was maybe just a little bit overmatched and give this guy another 300 plate appearances. He's going to show everybody why he was a top 30 prospect. And I like him where he's being drafted. Um, the other two guys I was going to bring up real quick are Stephen Kwan and, and Kyle Lewis, as I mentioned before, Kyle Lewis, the only thing for Kyle, the only thing holding Kyle Lewis back from being a 260 guy with 20 plus home runs and, and Kyle Lewis is one injuries, but two, yeah. the Mariners are so deep. They're just yes. so deep in outfield. I think he gets traded. I would love for Kyle Lewis to get an opportunity somewhere else. The reason why I said Kyle Lewis is the only person to hurt Kyle Lewis is again because of the injuries and because of then of the Mariners' depth. Like if Kyle Lewis can be Kyle Lewis, they are rookie of the year. He should start, but if he's closer to the 2021 version, he simply will not. So that's another upside guy. My guy that I really do like, but it's all dependent on when he comes up and there's a chance he doesn't even come up to till September, then basically just kind of forget everything I'm saying. But if he comes up by June and you can grab him, Vidal Brujan, he's currently getting taken 360th 
ADP, 89th outfielder off the board. If he plays 100 games, Colby, he could steal 40 bases. He's not a prolific hitter. He hit 262 with 12 home runs in the minor leagues last year in 103 games, but he stole 44 bases. He's just got so much speed that if you're lacking in speed and you just want a flyer on a guy, this is one of the speedsters of the minor leagues. The Rays know what they're doing. They're also a team that does steal bases. I, I, I like Vidal Brujan. It's got to be way later in drafts. This might be your last pick of the draft, but if he plays 100 games, he could fill your speed for you with your last pick of the draft. I'm going to counter with another raise prospect that I think is, is even better than Vidal Don't Brugan, and that's steal my next guy. That's my freaking next, next guy. Is it Josh Lowe? Of course it's my next guy. I love Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe is being taken. Um, 104th outfielder four forty-seven overall. I think he's a better all around player than Vidal Brujan is. I'm just talking straight fantasy because the stolen bases are so hard to come by. And Josh Lowe's not that guy. But I mean, he's, he's yeah, he, he could steal you some bases, but he's not going to steal 40 in 100 games no. like Vidal Brujan could. He did steal 26 in 111 games in AAA last year, though. He does have some speed. I think that just goes to show that we're both in on Josh Lau. Like, he's also a guy who could be a five category guy. He's got some pop. He can hit for a decently high average. And he's just a good all around player. And you, the Rays just turn out B. So he's another <laughs> safe prospect that's definitely going to hit this year. They're just hoarding like players, dude. Yeah, this is unreal. Up. He's He might not even have a chance to, to come up this year. And he is legitimately a starting outfielder on, on you know, 25 out of 30 teams. I'm just looking at um, all the guys so far down in these, in these rankings. Um, like just seeing Justin Upton, like after Jace Peterson is just so disrespectful to Justin Upton. <laughs> like, We're getting old, man. I remember, I remember a time when Justin Upton was a first round fantasy draft pick. I know, man. And another guy who I do I just don't know when he's going to play, but Alec Thomas has like the highest floor of any outfield prospect in our entire sport. It's just what kind of run is he going to get this year? You know, there he's getting taken 600th overall. I think he's a guy that you could stash if he plays this year um, could be pretty valuable for the Diamondbacks also because the Diamondbacks don't really have anybody. So they might just run him this year and see what they have with him. And if they do, he's going to be productive. And at the 600th draft pick, I think it's a pretty solid option. You know uh, what will never happen, but I wish it wish it did is I would love to see what would happen if Brett Phillips got 600 plate appearances because Why? he might steal he might steal 40 to 50 bags if he if he got 600 plate appearances and, and he, would won't. Be, he won't but it would be intriguing. Anyways, that's that's the last of my deep sleepers. That's the last of mine as well. And you can find all of this information, of course, on justbaseball.com. Top 20 outfielders will be dropping on Friday. Next week, we're ranking pitchers. And then we're almost at the season. We will be doing our fantasy draft. We'll let you guys know when that is. We'll be streaming on YouTube and everything like that. So you guys can watch it firsthand, see how that those decisions are made live. So anything else, Colby, before we part? If you are listening this late in this podcast episode, I'm going to trickle some info for you. Just give you a little cookie. Bet O'Neill Cruz to win NL Rookie of the Year at plus 350. No, hey, 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 not yet. Oh, we got that full episode coming. I, I, right I appreciate I appreciate that for the listener, but I'm it's, telling you that's coming up. 
No, but that's this is just up. a little, it's a little sprinkle. Okay, if you okay I don't now. hate it. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. But that's, that's covered. That's all I got to say. That yes. The future, rookie of the year, all that. We did our American League internationally betting preview, but all the award picks are coming soon. Don't want to ruin it, but go ahead with O'Neill Cruz. Go ahead. What do you want to say? That was it. I was just sprinkling the cookie. Oh, okay. Just, yeah, that, that, what are we take doing? Take him at plus 350. We're ruining it, Colby. We, we got all the juices. It. We got all the juices, but I do appreciate that because he does hit freaking tanks. And Arm even posted on his Twitter. He's like, I think O'Neill Cruz figured this whole hit tool thing out. I thought that was kind of funny. And the, and the, ner- the nervousness there is O'Neill Cruz and his six foot seven frame. Is he going to be able to stay healthy? Aaron Judge. <sighs> yeah, you know, I, I know another six foot seven beast that hits 120 mile per hour exit velocities and he's being taken you know top 20 so shortstop is tough shortstop is a little bit tougher to stay healthy but we'll, and we will talk about this we'll we'll get into it all on the next episode get your just baseball merch find the link in the episode description i'm rocking my just baseball tee also you can find all this stuff on our twitter at just bb media also follow our new gambling advice twitter not gambling advice we mean but the handle is at gambling underscore advice. Colby's rocking is just baseball hat. You can find that in the link in the episode description. And with that, thank you everybody.